0: Love Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com music for your mind, body, body, and soul. Radio at its best. You are listening to Rainbow Soul. Daniels and welcome, with to healing with Dr. Daniels on the Rainbow Soul Channel. I'm sorry, Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul Channel. And today's topic is science of longevity. What is it? Is the telomeres, is it the air, the water, the food, your friends. Maybe the Hunsas have the answer. The citizens in the United States have been besieged with uh, anti-aging, live longer, live forever, you know, get this, do this, do that. It gets pretty confusing after a while. What I'd like to do today is just take a look. Take a look at what we've been told, what seems to be the case, not the case. How do you sort through it at the end of the day? What seems to be the pattern here? Okay. So, by the way, I'd like to remind people that our call number is 914-338-0695. And as always, we have a captivating chat going on at healingwithdrdaniels.chatango.com. And you're all invited to join us, of course, for a stimulating parallel conversation <laughs> right along with the show. All right. So... One thing I'd like to point out is we're being told that Americans are living longer and longer and longer every year. Uh, life expectancy so we're told uh, has increased by uh, you know a whopping thirty years since um, nineteen sixty from nineteen sixty to twenty fifteen so that's like that's really stunning it's actually um, struggling, especially when you think i mean. Our world is so toxic. The quality of the food is deteriorating. The percent oxygen in the air is declining. Our water quality is less. So in the midst of all this, people are living longer. So this is, this is interesting. So as always, you have to kind of <clears throat> get to the end of this, the bottom of this. And a lot of things matter in terms of what you're counting and how you're counting. So life expectancy, this is the mathematical definition, I'll try and keep it very easy and um, transparent here, but it's a statistical measure of how long a person may live, usually based on the year of their birth uh, and their current age, which is actually one of the same, by the way, and other demographic factors like gender. And so it basically comes down to a weighted average. So... If you have uh, many people dying at birth, let's say, then their life expectancy would be averaged out at zero. So, if you have, let's, for the sake of discussion, say um, half the people die at birth and the other half live to be a hundred, well, of course, the life expectancy is going to be fifty years old. But that number may not reflect what's really going on. Now, another way, so. The life expectancy in the United States, what's one way to look at it? One way to look at it is, what is the life expectancy for someone who has attained the age of 65? Now, this is presumptuous, of course. You're presuming that you're going to make it to 65. But still, if people who make it to 65 are not living any longer than they were uh, 30 years ago, then that kind of puts a little damper on the whole life expectancy thing. So, life expectancy has increased uh, by about 30 years since 1960. That's if you use the statistical tool, which measures life expectancy from birth. What if we take a look at life expectancy from age 65? Well, if we take a look at that number, what we find is life expectancy has increased a whopping drum roll, please, three years. Three years. So, life expectancy from the age of 65 has increased a whopping three years. Not a lot when you look over a period of uh, you know, 20 or 30 years. And so for 2015, which is about where we are now, life expectancy for an American is about 78 years. The life expectancy for somebody in Latin America, poverty-stricken, war-torn Latin America, is only two years less. That's interesting. That would suggest that there is a burden on the uh, more developed countries, is the euphemism they use, that is similar to that of poverty and war, if you want to say poverty and war affect, um, life expectancy. So life expectancy is not substantially different in those two, uh, two strata. Now, the other thing about, um, again, life expectancy is infant mortality is, is huge. Now, infant mortality, we've taken a look at this in prior episodes, correlates very high with the abortion rate. So if you have a situation where where half or even more pregnancies are ended by abortion, then the infant mortality rate goes down tremendously. Why? Because the women who continue their pregnancy are very, very concerned about their baby's welfare and very attentive. In that first year of life, they're generally very protective and do whatever they can to help the child live longer. Whereas if you studiously neglect someone uh, under the age of one, they, you know, could have an increased chance of, of dying. So uh what we have then is we may have increased our life expectancy, statistically speaking, simply by um, more women terminating their pregnancies. An incredible thought. Um, so so much for statistics. Um, so the other thing to take a look at is, well, who's living longer? So the life expectancy statistic is, is riddled with, uh, with issues. So let's just go with the life expectancy from age 65 because none of us is starting out from birth. Everyone listening to this broadcast has got a few years under their belt. And what you really want to know is, are the years ahead of you longer or are they shorter and statistically have things really improved and how can you make them even better? One part of improving anything is measuring it. So we know the life expectancy measure is a bit tainted. And so we're gonna use the 65 plus uh, life expectancy. And we know that that's more or less about three years, longer than it was over the past 30 years. Okay. So in other words, I would, I would hazard a guess to say that the increase in life expectancy, we can say really is um, closer to um, negligible. A three-year imp- improvement over, over 30 years. Uh, if we're going to blame it on technology, that's some pretty uh, pretty weak technology. And again, from 1960 to, 19, to, to the present, life expectancy has increased pretty close to 30 years. And so, Let's take another another look at another measure of life expectancy. Well, another lef- measure of life expectancy is to take a look at the um, countries, other countries that have life expectancies they measure and see, you know, kind of like what's going on. Okay, so life expectancy in the United States, according to this chart, is seventy nine point eight years. And that puts uh, the United States firmly in 36th place. We're actually uh, equal with or slightly behind Costa Rica. Very interesting. Costa Rica being a Central American country. And so uh, Taiwan has got the United States beat as does England, South Korea, Germany, Netherlands, Austria, Israel. New Zealand, Canada. Canada comes in at 82.5. And of course, the top of the heap is Japan at 86.2. Now, these numbers are, from a um, point of view of ranking, are, are pretty disappointing because we like to think that health care, or engaging in health care, has something to do with life expectancy, but the United States spends more on health care than really um, all the others combined. So our per capita expenditure on health care is very, very high, totally disproportionate to um, our life expectancy, which is less. One could then easily deduce, especially when you realize 880,000 Americans die each year because they have health care, that the additional amount spent on healthcare in the United States is responsible for shortening the life expectancy or worse medical outcomes. So we've taken a look at that, but what about you know let's let's, let's just hit a little closer to home here. Um, let's take a look at, at at science. You know, what about telomeres. You know, we hear about, a lot about the uh, telomeres, and they're longer, and when you have longer telomeres, you live longer. So I forgot to take a look at, well, telomeres. So you look at the um, the gold standard in research on uh, telomeres, and what do you find? Well, you find that there are many things that influence the length of telomeres. So the question then, when you say, do telomeres project longevity, what you're really asking is, is having long telomeres a predictor of longevity? So can you get longevity by just making your telomeres longer? That would be be my question. So here's what the researchers say. This is straight from the, uh, you know, National Library of Medicine. So, then, impacts of smoking and obesity on telomeres and aging. So, smoking and obesity stem, seem to have adverse effects on telomeres. Seem to have. Not very scientific. Seem to have adverse effects on telomeres and aging. Excessive telomere shortening can also lead to genomic instability. Can also lead. In other words, it looks like they didn't actually check, but they think that this might be the case. All right? Not looking good here. Consistently, the telomeres in most cancer cells are short relative to normal cells. In other words, in most cancer cells. In some cancer cells, telomeres are longer. All right, gotcha. Smoking is associated with accelerated telomere shortening. So if you smoke, your telomeres shorten quicker. All right. So smoking and obesity seem to have adverse effects on telomeres and aging. Smoking and obesity seem to have adverse effects. Okay, got it. And I said, well, what about antioxidants or even worse yet, antioxidants? So in other words, what they're saying then is if you take a look at smokers and non-smokers, smokers have shorter telomeres. Okay. Exposure to harmful agents and nature of profession may affect telomere shortening. So telomere length in leukocytes, that's white blood cells, taken from office workers and traffic police officers exposed to traffic pollution and they measured how much pollution these people were exposed to by measuring the levels of toluene and benzene, a couple of pretty poisonous substances. So investigators found that telomere length in traffic police officers was shorter within each age group relative to telomere length in office workers. Similarly, the white cells of Coke oven workers. They're exposed to polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which is like serious cancer-causing stuff, but yet shorter telomeres and increased evidence of DNA damage and genetic instability compared to control subjects. So what we're finding here is that telomere length seems to be a surrogate marker for other exposures to toxicity. And reduction in telomere length in these workers did not correlate with age, and did not correlate with markers of DNA damage. However, it did correlate with the number of years the workers were exposed to harmful agents. And they're saying coke workers, coke oven workers, are at greater risk of developing cancer. All right, so what we found that is, is telomeres themselves are not an independent risk factor or an independent measuring agent here. So consistently, the women, who, we're talking about stress here, women exposed to stress in their daily life, they didn't define what the stress was, had evidence of increased oxidative pressure and reduced telomerase activity, which means telomeres did not grow, they were short. Relatives of women in the control group, who apparently had less stress. Importantly, the difference in telomere length in these two groups of women was the equivalent to 10 years of life, indicating that women under stress were at risk for early onset of age-related health problems. Because telomere length may indicate indicate, individual's biological age, the stress would adversely affect health and longevity. Okay. So I just want to say, we take a look at Mishio Kushi, one of my favorite health gurus. Mishio Kushi was the father of the macrobiotic movement. And Michio Kuchi lived to the age of 93, which I'm going to say is a ripe old age. It's certainly better than average. And he smoked four packs of cigarettes per day. Yes, four packs of cigarettes per day. So there's something else going on with this individual that allowed him to live to 93 while smoking cigarettes. I'm sure many of you uh, listeners know of people who smoke cigarettes and live to a very ripe old age. So there's something else about cigarettes that may or may not lead to uh, a shortened life. Then we have calorie restriction. So dietary restriction or eating less has an extremely positive impact on health and longevity. And the reason they know this is because they looked at rats. So in other words, the evidence in humans is basically lacking. Now here they say exercise may preserve telomeres and reduce the pace of aging. So what's going on then in this study is you pick something that you believe to be associated with longevity and you see if those people have longer telomeres. All right. So with exercise, we know, a la Jim Fix, that that, um, high exercise can actually lead to premature death. And we know we take a look at Jack LaLanne, another contemporary figure, that heavy exercising can actually be associated with a very long life. What's the difference between Jim Fix and Jack LaLanne? The difference is that Jack LaLanne was very, very interested in a nutritious diet and supplementation. But let's see what they so I say here, that exercise may preserve telomere length. And one person did one study um, With exercising, and so it's not really clear how much exercise, but exercise is associated with elevated telomerase activity and suppression of several um, damaging proteins. All right, so their conclusion is that telomerase shortens with age, and progressive telomerase, telomere shortening leads to old age and cell death. And they've been implicated, in other words, not proven to be, but suggested, in instability of the genes and cancer generation. So older people with shorter telomeres have three to eight times the risk to die from heart and infectious diseases, respectively. So the rate of telomere shortening is therefore critical to individual's health and pace of aging. And so, of course, the why I read this is the evidence presented is unrelated to the conclusion. So taking a supplement to alter your telomere, there's no evidence that might be helpful when telomeres are simply a surrogate marker for other risk factors. And when you look at telomere length, in part of their study, it did not correlate with age. So there goes the the telomere theory And so should you buy supplements that have telomeres? The answer is it's entirely possible that if you bought supplements based on this telomere logic that your skin might look better and um, you might get some benefit, but it appears that the benefit is in reducing the underlying risk factors such as it may be. Now, one group of people who seem to live forever are the Hunsas. I'll never forget. I was uh 1990 something. I was practicing medicine, and I was clearly uh, vegan. I was slender, and uh, I never ate vegetable, I never ate meat or dairy. No matter where I went or what the occasion was, I just didn't do it. And so the other doctors would say, "Well, Dr. Daniel, you know, the Hunss was a long time, and they're not vegetarian. I said, I'm not a Hunza. What can I tell you? So let's take a look at the Hunza because they have just grown to darn near mythical proportion in terms of their longevity. So let's go back to the very beginning. So Dr. Alan Bannock and Renee Taylor wrote the book Hunza Land in 1960. And they described the Huns on the front inside the dust jacket. They had no money, no poverty, no disease, no police, and no jail. All of these claims are false. Their money was the Pakistan rupee, as they were part of Pakistan. They had poverty. Those who could not grow their own food simply starved to death. And family groups were strongly independent and did not help others. They had considerable disease and often flooded into John Clark's dispensary for treatment. So, a little more about the Hunzas. So Renee Taylor was a lecturer, linguist, and world traveler, and she wrote another book, Hunza, Health Secrets for Long Life and Happiness, in 1964. So four years later, she wrote a second book. So she traveled to Hunza during the summer of 1960 over a jeep row that had been built a few years previously. So Taylor was a couple of months as a guest of the Mir, which I guess is the leader at his palace, the Hunza capital of Belit. Now she traveled very little and did not get the opportunity to develop any close personal relationships with the common Hunza person. She heard only filtered information preserved by the uh, king himself and his staff and selected individuals. Unfortunately, she did not learn the truth while in Hunza. She never ventured out alone to live with the people and learn the truth behind this facade. So her movements were strictly controlled and she was presented an orchestrated view of Hunza that the leader wanted her to pass on to the world. And uh, the book, let's just say, was uh, erroneous. But the important thing to understand is the Hunzas live a seasonal life. And now, Renee Taylor proclaims to be the most healthy and long-lived people on the earth while subsisting on a low-fat, mostly vegetarian diet. And this turns out to be quite false. Because the um, Hunsas live in a very harsh environment, they uh, only eat vegetables in the summer. And most visitors arrive in the summer because the winters are so harsh. So summer diet led visitors to assume they were mainly vegetarian and ate very little meat. This was typical of the summer harvest season. Many primitive cultures, including cavemen, lived in a similar manner, gorging themselves on available fruit during the short season and eating mostly meat for the rest of the year. People of Hansa differed in that they never had an abundance of anything except rocks. They did not have enough animals to provide abundant meat during the winter because of the lack of fodder, so nothing for the animals to eat. And they didn't want to kill fertile animals that were milk producers, unless, of course, the animals were old or lame. So what's the truth about Hunza longevity? The British general who first visited Hunza in the late 1870s said there were old people but gave no indication as to the ages. At that time in history, a person beyond 50 years of age was considered to be well beyond the average life expectancy. And although the predominantly um, Hunza, uh, they're Shiite Muslims, by the way, are progressive and relatively better off than most of their neighbors in nearby regions, they will all tell any visitor that their life expectancy is around 50 to 60 years just like any other region of Northern Pakistan. So the Hansa story is basically a myth and uh, a well-preserved one at that. So we can't, uh, really can't rely on these things. And so what then can we look to for our indication what makes people live longer. I think since we really are not able to rely on historical accounts because they've been compromised, what we have to take a look at is contemporary individuals either in our lives or in recent history who have lived over an age of I would say 90 is a good a good number and see if we can't figure out any, uh, any patterns here. The other thing we can take a look at is we can take a look at the census data in the United States. They keep census data, and they keep this data they determine basically longevity over a period of time. So I want to take a look at a group of Americans who live a very long time. In fact, they outlive all other Americans. And this has been going on, of course, I thought it was an isolated thing in 2012, but this has been going on for decades. So, for decades, this group of Americans have outlived all other Americans. And this is the paradox of United States Hispanics' longer life expectancy. Now, this is a paradox because these Hispanics are not only outliving Americans, but they are actually living longer than the people from their country of origin. So you can't say, oh, Hispanics are living longer because the countries they came from have people who live longer which is what we often say about Japanese in the United States uh, is that they live longer because they're, they're from Japan and Japan's a long live. And so the Hispanic longer life expectancy cannot be attributed to genes, can't be genetic, because they're living longer than the people in their country who did not move to the United States. And not only that, they're living longer than people in the United States. So let's see what they say. So this was written in uh, 2013. So despite having lower income and lower educational levels, United States Hispanics tend to outlive non-Hispanic whites by several years. So demographers call this the Hispanic Epidemiological Paradox. And for three decades, that's 30 years, They have puzzled over why Hispanics' socioeconomic disadvantages are not linked to shorter lives as they are for other racial and ethnic groups. This is very interesting. So people who have low incomes, lack high school degrees, have very high mortality rates compared to people with high incomes and education. In other words, among U.S. citizens. While Hispanics' poverty and education levels are closer to those of U.S. Blacks, their mortality rates are more similar to non-Hispanic whites. Now, we're using the word similar very generously because they're actually living longer than non-Hispanic whites. question is, how do Hispanics defy the odds? So, what we have to say then is income and education We have to really discount these as um, beneficial factors in longevity. Because here we have a, a population that is not educated. And they are living longer. And so what are they saying? Well, they're saying the Hispanics have better health habits and stronger networks of social support in the Hispanic community well, wait a minute, how can these health habits and social networks in the Hispanic community be any stronger than they were back in their home country with their rest of their family be? So there's something Hispanics are doing or not doing, and it's leading to longer lives. so let's let's take a look at what we know about Hispanics, not based on meeting Hispanics, but based on what the United States government has chosen to measure. And they measure a lot of things. Okay. So one thing they measure is education. Hispanics, for sure, less educated. Now, I'd just like to say another thing about Hispanics is uh, they speak Spanish. And so a lot of Hispanics in the United States have not bothered to learn English. What does that mean? It means that they miss a lot of the propaganda because they don't speak English. So because they don't speak English, they're less likely to go get those vaccinations or shots. Because they don't speak English, they're less likely to go get that cholesterol check and take the cholesterol medication. There's a lot of um, cultural practices Americans engage in that really shorten their life expectancy, a lot of it based on propaganda and beliefs. So education, no. Uh, money. No doubt about it, Hispanics do not have as much money as uh, apparently their incomes are are lower than the average American income. Yet, they live a lot longer. What about their weight? Well, Hispanics have a higher rate of obesity. These are Hispanics who live in the United States. So we're not talking about Hispanics who live in, say, um, Mexico or Panama or Cuba, or Puerto Rico. So we're talking about Hispanics who actually live, who immigrated to the United States living on U.S. soil. Uh, so, so I know body weight? No, they are heavier. So let's sort this out. How is it an individual, human being, who's overweight could live longer than someone who's normal weight? Answer. Lies in what we mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is, We live in an environment with more toxins and more chemicals and more poisons than ever. And what does your body do with it? It puts it in the fat. So having fat appears to be a protective thing if you're going to take a look at the longevity of these Hispanics. Wealth. They just don't have as much money. So What does that tell you? Well, it suggests that there's something Americans are spending money on that is causing Them to die sooner. And one thing that it does cost money for is chemicals. Whether it's chemicals in your new clothing, whether it's chemicals in your new car, whether it's um, strong chemical cleaning agents you use in your home, all of these are things that Hispanics are going to have less exposure to. Why? They just don't have the money to afford them. In fact, um, I'm from Syracuse, New York, and among the Hispanics, it was just de rigueur to um, use clothing that was used. In other words, they, of course, they went shopping at the used clothing store. There was no thought of purchasing things new. Now, this is the old, you know, I'm 58 years old, so this was a while ago. Things may have changed with the younger Hispanics. I expect with the younger Hispanics being more acculturated, that we're going to find that the um, life expectancy of Hispanics is going to actually decline. And so with education, um, they, they didn't get the propaganda, so they're probably not getting their annual health exams. Um, they're not looking for a drug for every uh, affliction. They might not even know they exist. So you have the lack of propaganda, the lack of exposure to um, personal product chemicals because they can't afford them and you have the increased body weight to buffer toxins and parasites that's my read on the hispanic paradox and so the um other thing about older hispanics is they're healthier than non-hispanic whites or blacks or any other section of the population so in other words if you have an 80 year old hispanic in the united states they're going to be physically healthier than a non-Hispanic white or an African American of the same age. So fatal chronic diseases like heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease, and stroke are much less prevalent among older Hispanics than among other racial and ethnic groups. And uh, they base this on a nationally representative sample of Americans in a retirement study. So if Hispanics are foreign born and then emigrate to the United States, they get an even better um, advantage. So um, foreign born Hispanics who emigrate to the United States appear to be particularly healthy and rates of several chronic diseases equal to or lower than whites. And their health advantage is even more pronounced when we controlled for income and education. So tremendous advantage um, moving to the United States. So what is the root cause of better health, particularly among the foreign born? So what they're saying is there's lower tobacco use among Hispanics. And they're saying it could explain close to three-quarters the difference in life expectancy at age 50. So 25% Still unexplained. And the ones that do smoke, if they actually do smoke, apparently smoke fewer cigarettes. And so they also say that, well what they, uh, so they laid it all to cigarette use. Now of course if you believe the old uh, Hispanic West Side Story, all Hispanics smoke, but who knows? So what they're saying is they believe the lower smoking rate among Hispanics is uh, responsible for this increased life expectancy. But one thing is for sure, it's a tremendous increase in life expectancy. And again, you really can't attribute it to their country of origin because um, for, for Hispanic. Cultures like Mexico, um, Cuba, everything, these Hispanics that come to the United States experience a higher life expectancy than in their country of origin. So we can't say that uh, it's genetic because the same genes they left behind are not um, causing increased life expectancy. So I would say it's possible the increase in sanitation. In other words, uh, drinkable water supply, maybe better roads, so fewer um, car accidents, and they have that advantage without the disadvantage of accessing medical care. So Hispanics also have much, much less access to medical care than the non-Hispanics in this country. And so that's my assessment of their uh, increased longevity, the paradox. Then we can take a look at Linus Pauling, a contemporary individual who lived over the age of 90. Now, Linus Pauling ate meat. He drank wine. But one thing he did, which he told the world about, was he took his vitamin C, by golly. Now, he took pretty high-dose vitamin C. So what do we know about vitamin C? Well, uh, you could say it's an antioxidant, but what we really know about vitamin C is In the doses that Linus Pauling recommended, he recommended you take enough vitamin C to cause diarrhea. In other words, he recommended you keep your bowels flowing and keep your bowels loose. So Linus Pauling uh, was definitely totally opposed to constipation of any kind. And his uh, herb of choice was vitamin C. Now, what else does vitamin C do? Well, vitamin C is a known antiparasitic agent. It means it kills parasites. And so Linus Pauling had a pretty robust program for removing waste from his body and killing parasites, even though he did drink wine and eat meat. Now, i just like to mention, health food is probably not a contributor to longevity. When I say health food, I mean going to the health food store and buying whatever packaged foods they might have with the fancy labeling and claims. Doesn't seem to be um, a reasonable thing to do. And then we can take a look at my own uh, family. I would encourage anyone listening to take a look at their own family and take a look at the 90, people who lived over over 90. Um, They were profoundly uneducated. I don't know that they even went to the third grade. So just like the Hispanics, they totally lacked education. They didn't have any education. Wealth, uh, they were sharecroppers. So we'd say that they were pretty poor. I do body weight. I would say my grandmother at the time of her death was at least 40 pounds overweight. And my grandfather, the most of them lived over 90. My grandfather at the time of his death was at least, mm, I would say 15 pounds overweight, So we were not skinny people. So they had, uh, low education level, low wealth, high weight, and it seems like their situation very closely paralleled that of Hispanics. Now, I'll even go a step further, is they did not eat food from the grocery store until they were up in years, around age 50, was when they started eating food from the grocery store. And um, actually their health steadily declined from that point. So we have the Hispanic paradox, which may not really be um, a paradox at all. Now, what other um, clue can I pull from my immediate family? Well, I have a mother and her father died at age 65. Her mother died at age 30. Her brothers died at age three age 27 age 45 and age 52. That's right not a lot of longevity there. Now they had come to the city to live so they were um, more or less city dwellers and so she had another generation and that would be the generation before her father's generation and um, They, the women in that generation, lived a long time. Now, the women in that generation lived into their 90s. And they ate clay. Um, Clay is an agent, a detoxing agent. When you eat clay, it soaks up poisons and chemicals in your body. So they were clay eaters. And they ate turpentine, they drank turpentine, and they took castor oil, so that generation lived into their 90s. Her father, who was very highly educated, he went to um, prep school, he went to trade school, uh, he went to college. He graduated from all of them. He was an excellent student. Um, he died, like I said, at age 65. So he predeceased his, uh, the prior generation, by about 30 years. So rather than living till 95, he only lived till 65. And again, he was uh, educated. His weight was actually pretty good. He He was not overweight. He might have been 10 pounds overweight. That would be it. And his wealth, he was certainly wealthy before him, although he was firmly middle class. You're not, not poor at all. Now, my father, just by the way, who's the son of his two 90-year-olds, died at age 55. And he was educated. He went to college. He was certainly wealthier than his parents. Uh, his weight was a little bit off. That's that's true. But I think a lot of it had to do with the acculturation. So being... Um, Educated in terms of accepting the belief structure of the American culture is itself a factor in shortening life expectancy. So, uh, my mother, though, is now 83 years old. So, she has exceeded um, by far any prediction of life expectancy that you could get from, say, her siblings or her parents. She's way outlived at the age of 83. Why did she do that? Mom's health was very bad when I was uh, a kid. And when I got out of medical school, um, she was already um, severely disabled by chronic pain from a car accident. And it was only when she started taking... Uh, actually, what did I start her on first? I think I started on turpentine first. started on turpentine that her pains went away and she was able to get up and do things and it literally just turned back her age. She it's almost like she not only stopped aging but started getting younger and younger and younger and capable of more things. Then she hit another plateau where she just sat down in a chair one day and said, This is it. I'm done. I'm now emeritus. She announced to the family from her chair that she was emeritus and that we were to bring her to family functions and sit her in a chair in a corner. And we would talk and she would talk about all the things that she did in the past. And that's it, that was gonna be the rest of her life. And that was, that's what she was going to do. And I said, oh my gosh, well, we can't have that. I said, mom, why don't you take some vitality counsel? And she, she wasn't too keen on that, but she said, well, okay, I'll take, uh, I'll take one. And that was about eight o'clock in the evening. And about 9 o'clock, she jumped up out of her chair and said, you know what? I've always wanted to paint this kitchen. And she started barking orders telling people to move things out of the kitchen. And she got out the paint and, by golly, painted her kitchen. And uh, she's been pretty much going ever since. Now, she – mom is very bad about taking vitamins or supplements. So she won't take her B vitamins. doesn't want to take her minerals. She's got a whole list of things and reasons why she won't take this or won't take that. And this is actually consistent with old age. Most people who live into old age are not taking a fistful of vitamins. Very interesting. But she's gone back on her turpentine. She stopped that for a while, and things got worse. So she went back on her turpentine. And actually, I think she did go back. She did go back on her vitality capsules about a month ago. So what does that mean? It means having a parasite removal program. And a waste removal program are huge in terms of life expectancy. They can literally just, you know, turn things around. And I would say, from the time Mom was 56 to she's 83 now, she's had at least four near-death experiences. And that's when I was in, uh, in the United States. So I would get a phone call. Oh, Mom's not doing too well. I say, okay. And that's Syracuse, New York. So more likely than not, it's snow on the ground. So I pull on my boots, walk out the front door, and walk the uh, block and a half to Mom's house, only to find her, uh, you know, laying in bed, still almost lifeless, and barely able to tell me uh, where it hurts. And each time, it it was turned around with the topical application of turpentine. Uh, and an enema. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Most mothers don't want to get an enema from their daughter, but what are you going to do? And so, um, and sometimes I was just able to talk her into it because, you know, she just didn't really want me to be that involved in it. But it just made the world a difference. And so all these things were being told about life expectancy, uh, this supplement, that supplement, um, pump, iron, exercise, this and that, um, it doesn't really seem to, to, to bear out. But if we look at the epidemiology of what's going on, and we take a look at our uh, people in our lives who are over 90, and I would say, you can say over 80, over 90, and mom's because she's African American, right? So for African American woman to live to be 83 is uh, quite an accomplishment. So, that is a big part of it. Now, what else helps people to live longer? Now, if you go even further afield and you take a look, you, well, first of all, you realize that income is not, it's not the measure because Hispanics don't have the income. And if you compare life expectancy in Central America to that in North America, the difference is... a. Very um, minimal one year, if that. So there's something else going on. And it seems what makes a huge difference is the the feeling important, feeling worthwhile, feeling that the people who are around you value you and think that you're important. That is huge. So simply the feeling of being useless or worthless or unvalued is itself um, a factor in in longevity so you've got to um, create a situation for yourself where you're surrounded by people who think that you are important that, that, that you are, are valuable and not only just valuable valuable but valuable to their life and valuable to their existence and valuable to uh, their happiness. So now it's at the end of our session, our call here, not the end, but time for questions. So if you're on the line, you can just give a little click there. And I'll move on over, move on over, and see, oops, have to uh, manage my uh, clicks here. All right. Does World War II skew the life expectancy numbers? Actually, it doesn't. Interesting. Um, The amazing thing is that the death rate at war is really not that high. You know, we really haven't lost that many troops, for example, in the Iraq War, you know, as a percent of the total troops that went over there. So um, apparently war is, is not a big deal. <laughs> okay. I'd rather die at 70 than spend the last 20 years vegetating in an old boat song. Yes. However, it turns out that these longer-lived Americans, these Hispanics, are not in nursing homes. They're living very independently. And uh, the increase in age does not appear to be accompanied by an increase and disability, so very, very interesting. Let's see. Okay, Dr. Dan, I have heard great things about your vitality capsules. You look ageless. Do you think they have something to do with it along with your protocol of turpentine? I'll be listening to your response. Actually, yes because I have tried many times to stop taking vitality capsules. And when I stop taking vitality capsules, I start feeling older. I just feel older. And then I go back to taking them. And then I'll stop for a while, and then I'll go back to taking them. And so right now, um, I've paused them for a bit, uh, but I'll probably go back to taking them probably in, in two or three more weeks. And turpentine, I just can't tell you, I mean, personally, in my life, it's huge, huge. And people say, oh, Dr. Daniels, you know, you've done this great service. You have discovered turpentine. you helped so many people. And that's true. But by golly, it has really helped me. I mean, I definitely believe that I would not be alive today if uh, I did not use and know about turpentine. I mean, just all these little autoimmune things that people come to me with. You know, I've had the beginnings of it. I'm like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. And I just start taking different times, boom, it's gone in, in minutes. So definitely huge, very huge, especially now that I do eat meat because I, I was vegan for a very long time, but I got so exhausted and so tired, I couldn't even get up out of, um, out of bed and so now I eat meat and so, not only do I get up out of bed, but I've even taken up bicycle riding. Well, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> All right, uh, do you think that science has already truly discovered a way to make us live longer and is just sharing it with the elite? No, I do not. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because there are too many um, elite people who are uh, debilitated. For example, if you look at um, Dick Cheney, the vice president under Bush, he has had every technological intervention you can imagine. And finally, once he got his heart transplant, he confessed that his life was an absolute misery with the pacemaker uh, implantable defibrillator and all those cardiac drugs. So there there is no secret that they're keeping from... Um, us, uh, you know, low-caste people. Okay, so this is I read a few months ago about a Chinese herbalist that lived to be 256 years old. Okay, so we can just stop there. So the way the Chinese measure age, and especially if you have a Chinese herbalist, is very different from what we perceive and accept. And so I was trying to read some Chinese stuff and sort through what happened to who, when, and, you know, just just get this straight. And so what happens a lot of times is you'll have an herbalist who will be in a Chinese lineage, whatever. And then when he dies, the lineage is passed to someone else who, who maintains the same name. And they count that as one life. And obviously you can get to 256 years pretty easy and end up with, of course, 22 wives and over 200 children. Um, so, their longevity formula is retain a calm heart, sit like a turtle, walk swiftly like a pigeon, and sleep like a dog. And that is some very good advice. A calm heart, and the only way to maintain a calm heart, or in one way, again, as I said, is surround yourself by people who value you, who feel that you are important, and that you are making contribution to their very existence, even if only by your smile. But you need to get yourself in that environment. And good sleep is nothing that you can do to um, make up for good sleep. Definitely have good sleep. And how do you get good sleep? You get good sleep by cleaning out your liver. Blood cell count is too low. What should I do about it? Okay, so... You're hearing this from somebody whose white count cell was too low for at least 30 years. Absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing. If you're feeling fine and you have a low white count, hey, it's the doctor's problem. Let him you know, <laughs> let him do what he wants to do to himself about it, but don't don't you um, bother with it. So I'd like to definitely to visit VitalityCapital.com forward slash candida. To get their free copy of the Candida Cleaner Report, which tells you how to drink turpentine. Of course, this is not medical advice, and uh, anything you do, of course, is at your own risk, but uh, it's something that people have found helpful, and I I take it myself. Um, Also, we have um, doctor hours, doctor's hours, office hours monthly, where I answer questions, and um, it's now $9.95 a month, and it's soon going up to $49.95. So now is a great time to check that out, and you can just go on to vitalitycapsules.com and find it there. And that is it. That is the end of today's show.